strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdown, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another episode of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. Today, we dive into the new Jim Crow, mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. I figured, guys, we might as well just title this episode the new Jim Crow with what's going on in the world right now. Clearly, it was pertinent for us to discuss this on our platform. It would have been ignorant not to. So it was fitting for us to have the Jim Crow book be the book this week. I thought it was a phenomenal read by Michelle Alexander. One of the most enlightening books I've ever read, if not the most, from just things that I never would have known about otherwise going in with the lack of education. So that was, I had already read this book when it came out. It was cool to read over it again though. And uh, obviously the timing on it now hits home more than ever, even though back then, I thought it was interesting because I read it right after Obama was elected. And I thought that was an interesting time to read it because I thought, I think, and we'll dive into that in a bit, but I think that brings up an interesting point as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, did you guys, I know it's Thursday, so we didn't do our Sunday night food coma since it was Wednesday. Dan, have you been eating anything fun down there? Uh, I mean, just a lot of good, a lot of good barbecue food. Anything that has shocked you that's like surprisingly dominant that you'd write home about, or is it just? You I'm know? gonna have to think about that and report back on the. So next the answer show. is no. That if you have to think about <laughs> that, there's no. Well, yeah. no. Have you guys have you guys ever had hush puppies? Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of that going mm. on. Corey, I actually had that <laughs> at your brother's bachelor yeah. party. Oh, is that, that yeah? I, I definitely had it recently. That's probably where it was. I, I definitely also had, had it in New Orleans. So like one of those nights. Yeah. Danny's obsessed with them and they have them. It's like the most common thing you see on the menu here of every single restaurant. So, yeah, really? They're, yeah, they're pretty good. I mean, yeah, who doesn't like fried stuff with honey and butter? I feel like it tastes like little funnel cake balls, like from (laughs) down the Jersey shore boardwalk. Sweet tooth. Dan is at it. Yes, <laughs> Corey. Have you been doing anything different? I know you. You and Sarah has been in Colorado. What have you been doing food wise? Have you done your own cooking lately? No, not at all. I've been ordering a lot, so I don't have any good food in terms of uh, fun food that I've been eating. But I'll tell you what happened to me last night, which was awesome. Uh, I ordered delivery from Delivery.com, and they uh, they messaged me about forty five minutes after my delivery saying that the restaurant never confirmed it and they canceled it. So I ordered DoorDash. I was starving. It was like 7.30 at this point and uh, I haven't ate all day. So I was breaking the fast. I ordered a huge meal and again, it was canceled. So I ordered DoorDash um, and my food showed up. And then like 10 minutes later after DoorDash, uh, the delivery.com order showed up. So I had like six entrees. I still have so much food in the fridge. And Sounds like college like, from back in the day. Yeah, $60 worth of food for free. So that was pretty awesome. Wow. That's a win for us. Let's just keep having our competitors spending money. I love it. <laughs> yeah. 
that that's wild. Yeah, I haven't. I, I've kind of. I've gone hard in the paint with dumplings. I've kind of gotten burnt out a bit. Um, I did the eat clean bro, eat clean bro thing last week or two weeks ago. You know, it was good, but I, my ongoing issue, whenever I have to microwave something, it just, it's different. And th that's the thing. Like, it's really good food. I just, I don't know if that's something I could do ongoing, but it was what, a good change what, of pace. What don't you like about the microwave? Think it changes I, I just feel quality? like, it, yeah, I'm an oven guy and I know so you, you could, you could oven yeah. it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think I learned my lesson with that from last time. Like when I do them again, I'm not miking it. Cause it just, I, I'm not patient when I'm hungry. That's the problem. When Too I good for a microwave, microwave, Mike? What's that? Too good for a microwave? No, I usually am too impatient, not for a microwave. Uh, that's my problem. I'm usually an oven guy, but I'm so hungry when I'm intermittent fasting that I can't wait. Like last night I had to microwave some dumplings, which was an amateur move. I should have put them in the oven. Like, you know, that was ridiculous, but yeah, that, I don't really have anything to report. I know once the restaurants actually open up for dining here, it'll be, I'll have way more to report on that front. But uh, Dan, any current events outside of what we're going to be diving into? Outside of that? No, I'd say all my current events are related to that. Uh, one thing that's not related to that is the stoner dude from that 70s show is accused of rape. Oh, I, I saw, saw that. that. I mean, that didn't shock me. I I always looked at that guy, and he looked like a straight up creep. I I don't know that whatever he was getting into, he just never looked on camera even like a dude that you'd want to grab a beer with. Even in that it. ranch show with uh, Ashton Kutcher that he's in, he just has yeah. this. And it's easy to say that now that he's been convicted of rape. Where like after the fact, I'm like that guy looks like that, but I never <laughs> got a good vibe from him personally. Like I wasn't a fan of him as an actor by any means. <laughs> I was definitely getting a kick out of all the gifts that people were putting up on Twitter about it last night. <laughs> like they had ones from that '70s show where it, I don't know. You got to just go. You can go down a rabbit hole of people commenting with that '70s show gifts about the headline that came out about it. Well, I don't want to like that guy rots in prison. That's yeah, totally the wild the wild part about that whole thing was like the allegations were from two thousand and three and two thousand and one. Pretty nuts. Yeah. I know, I know that it's wild that that happened. I never understand some of that, but I think a lot of that is the way the courts are set up more than anything. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. But hopefully that'll that's a whole other conversation. But uh, there was uh, another shooting like where a cop killed a black person, Rashard Brooks. Have you guys been following yeah, in Atlanta, that? At the Wendy's yeah. parking lot? Yeah, Terrible. a little bit of a different situation than the George Floyd, but obviously, you know, not that much different. Different in the sense that I couldn't even watch the George Floyd video because it was so, like, after like 10 seconds, you just get sick to your stomach even watching it because it's just the most fucked up thing ever. And the other video, I don't think the whole video is available to the public, only like what they released. It's obviously a little different, but still just more of more of the same happening. And in a time when there's such a magnifying glass on it as it is, it's, it's just crazy. It's crazy that that would even happen so quickly after the George Floyd with how angry everyone is and uh, you know what i mean i look at it as the exact same thing a guy was killed with violence so it's one of those situations where the, sure the context could have been different with the storyline but 
it, it stems back to the ongoing issue that's going on, you know, yeah. that, with which is a systematic, complete screw up and, uh, you know, as we'll dive into in a bit. Cool, cool. And Dan, did you want to dive into the whole brand thing with Aunt Jemima? Because that, that's clearly current events food related with this. Well, that was that was one of the other things. I had a few things on there. Um, I think that was the next thing I really had on there. Oh, well, the, well, before we even get into that, have you guys been seeing like how there's just been like people randomly that have been dying from hanging, like whether it's suicide yeah. or getting hung. Yeah. There's been like, yeah. And that's there's like, like conspiracy them. theories. What are they? They're pretty much just saying like that. They didn't hang themselves. It's pretty much the conspiracy. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. ever since, you the know, there was that someone put out that art, like as a statement a few weeks ago, remember when this, when the protests started with the, the hangings as like a, a movement, like symbol. I, I wonder if that has something to do with some of this stuff, like with, you know, uh, I don't know. I have no idea if a couple of these things were suicides or not, but I, I think back to that symbol that was put up as a, you know, a way for people to be like, whoa, what the hell is going on here? Somebody, I, I think it was a black artist. I have to look up who did this, but they created like a, a, a surreal, like, I don't even want to misspeak here, but it was something with hangings, like not of real people, obviously, but of like people being able to go buy something and immediately think of that, where it was a representation of that. So I, since then, yeah. it seems like this has been happening. And, you know, it, it makes me think of the serial killer copycat situations that the police always worry about, where yep. you're going to have people replicating that, even with the mass shootings. So I wonder if that is at all connected, but I, you know, who knows? Like it could be completely different situations. So Mike, the, you're saying that this like might almost be the beginning of a serial killer and that's- No, like, no, 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 not at all. I'm not saying at the beginning of a serial killer. I'm saying where they always worry with like mass shooters and serial killers that it's a copycat type of trigger. And I wonder if that has, like when that symbol was put together, a few weeks ago during the heat of the beginning of the protests, it seems like these hangings started happening right after that. See, I didn't see the symbol you're talking about. I'm looking at somebody put something up. Let me find this thing. It doesn't, they, they, somebody put something together to make a statement to like get people's attention. Kind of, kind of in a way where remember back in the day with the car wreck you saw before prom. Some, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That. And um, I don't know what it was called. And, uh, but yeah, it was basically part of the protesting to, you know, acknowledge for people to know what's actually going on and the problem in the country. But I, yeah, it's definitely obviously very alarming that these things have started happening where there's been multiple hangings that, and, you know, we haven't seen this at least or heard of it in the media of something that's been happening in, in that realm in a long time. So that, that's what's concerning about this whole thing it brings up these types of things and, and then you wonder where is it all going and coming from? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost seems like everything happening is creating more of a divide in our country than ever before. Cause, and I know it's the complete opposite agenda that the people that are trying to protest have where their agenda is, you know, for, everything to be more equal and 
for police brutality to stop and for unequal, just everything. And at the end of the day, it just seems like it's causing almost the opposite. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I, I just think that there's, you know, at the end of the day, everyone, we're in a world where everyone has a, a stance on something. None of us grew up in this situation. So I think for my biggest thing that I took even reading this book, and I know this all relates, so I'll kind of intertwine with it. I don't recall, and we grew up in an upper class white neighborhood, privileged as you could talk about. It's one of those situations where I don't remember learning about any of this. Like, we did not really dive into the slave trade that much and how that even started. It was brushed upon briefly in a history class. But that to me is the most alarming thing thinking back is we were shielded by that. And then when I was growing up during the 90s, it was in the middle of the drug war. We had D.A.R.E. We had these D.A.R.E. officers coming telling us to, you know, stay off drugs. They didn't. And in their defense in our town, they didn't make it a race thing at all. But reading this book, watching 13th, the Netflix show, I don't know if you guys saw that documentary. It was unbelievable with how eye-opening some of that stuff was. It, they caught Lee Atwater on tape basically saying he was the strategy, one of the strategists for Reagan before he was elected president. He was going over how new age slavery took form with like tax cuts being shields where it would just be ways of affecting the black communities without people really understanding what was going on the, and making people colorblind to it. And I, I think that's always the thing that frustrates me growing up where we grew up in a bubble. We didn't have, I mean, sure, we grew up near New York City, but we didn't have any type of insight to these things. We didn't see these things. We didn't hear about it. We heard the war on drugs was a huge thing, but we didn't know what that meant. But what it was, was a new age slavery when you really break down because the way the system worked is when you are incarcerated and you're a felon, you really don't have rights. So yeah, when you, you can't get out of the system, you can't get out of the system. So ever since the civil rights movement, this has been a vicious pattern. And what, what I'm hoping happens from all of this is it starts with a conversation. Then I think it leads to, new forms of education for young people in curriculums. And this new Jim Crow book, I think should be in the curriculums across the board. I, I think it's a phenomenal read. Uh, when you look at the author, Michelle Alexander, let me just break this down for you guys. She was a, a civil rights litigator and legal scholar. So naturally she, she had a very interesting background going into this book and you know, she basically goes over the fact that the war on drugs was the way to mask this entire thing, where it made people completely blind to the fact that it was the new Jim Crow. And when I talk about Jim Crow, guys, I wanted to, I was actually bringing this up just to go over it because I'm sure people are wondering what the, what Jim Crow even means. Jim Crow laws were state and local laws that enforced racial segregation in this Southern United States. All of them were enacted in the late 19th and early 20th centuries by white democratic dominated state legislatures to disenfranchise and remove political and economic gains made by blacks during the reconstruction period. 
the Jim Crow laws were enforced until 1965. In practice, they, the laws mandated racial segregation in all public facilities in the states of the former Confederate States of America and other states starting in the 1870s and 1880s. And it's just, that was the beginning of the pattern of racial segregation and basically making it where community, black communities were not even given a fair chance. And there's been, a, and the and it really dives into even the Obama administration. When Obama was elected, Michelle Alexander highlights how on one end she was so excited for this, but she was also really concerned because it was masking the bigger problem at hand that racism is still exists and we have so much divide. And that's something, whether you love or hate Trump, he's brought back to attention the fact that we have a divided nation and racism is as real as ever. It didn't evaporate like thin air when Obama was elected because he was a black president. So that that's something I'm hoping now instills a, a transformation in our world. And I think now that everyone has access to information like never before, it, it makes people be enlightened. We grew up in an era where there wasn't even Google. Let's be real. When we were in schools, we our trusting, trusted confidants were our teachers, our peers, and our parents. But there was what, a Britannica encyclopedia, like the CD-ROMs? It was very tough to find information in the pre-Sergey Brin, Larry Page days. So what, what, are, what did you guys think of the book? Well, before we even get into that, I think you definitely bring up a good point that I, I never really thought about. I guess you don't really get taught the full picture in uh, when you're growing up. Like, the, the yeah, the books are very... Yeah, they don't really touch on, you know, the dirty details of it all. We really won every war, Dan. And according to our history teachers, I grew up, if it wasn't for our father educating us, I we were taught that America won every single war throughout school. Literally, the history books that we were given, that was the narrative. So that in itself, that's completely different from this. But it just shows it what we were thrown at the, you know, at the mix when you're absorbing things that as a young kid you would think it's, it's really vital to have what's in front of you there, like what actually happened. So that's where I think things could change from the get-go is instilling an actual education of what's real in these history books. That would help a bit. But yeah, no, I mean, I thought it was, it, it, it kind of shined light on things that I didn't necessarily notice. Like the war on drugs was one of them. Not that I didn't notice the war on drugs, but like that. But the did you know the cover of it, Dan? Like what it actually stood for? Well, yeah, exactly. And that it was almost used to make people racist and to put people in a system that they couldn't get out of. And at the time, not even at the time, even like up until right now, when you think about the war of oh, the war on drugs, you don't really think about it in like a racist way. At least I never have. And it almost seems like that was like created and it's not even real, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, it was created to it. When you even look at they, the government broke down that crack cocaine was a problem in these black communities before it even existed. So that in itself, it, there was a narrative. It was literally like, oh, let's create a marketing plan here. That that's what this was. And you, when you see this documentary, 13th, where you see the strategist of Reagan, Lee Atwater, caught on tape going over this, where he just he's basically like having a casual conversation. He's like, don't quote me on this or anything. Ha ha. 
basically like in a mockery way where he couldn't care less, but he was just painting the picture of what the, the agenda was. I got to check out this 13th documentary. Oh, everyone does. So, I mean, what, so, so based on what you're saying is in your opinion, the agenda basically to remove, and it sounds like you're actually saying the opposite, but you're saying we weren't taught enough in history. I almost feel like what's going well, we on. We weren't educated on what was actually happening. That that's well, no, yeah. I was going to say though, it almost seems like what's going on right now and the push that so many people are trying to make is almost to, I don't want to say undo history, but like erase it where, and, uh, and I never really thought about it in certain ways that maybe I need to think about it. But I guess like at first when I saw certain statues being ripped down and like thrown into harbors and stuff like that, it, it, I was just like, damn, like, this Man, is there crazy. Is that. I don't think we got to acknowledge that. I don't think anyone's trying to erase history at all. I think with the statues, people are literally offended by them, by seeing them up of Confederates and people that stood for racism. I think there's a much different narrative of that. I don't think anyone would tell you they're trying to erase history at all. Well, I'm just wondering so, if you like really take it to the next step and you really think about what would need to happen for everything to really change. I almost think maybe that that wouldn't, and I don't know, I go back and forth on it, but when you think about it, when you're able to hear about things in the way they used to be you're able to almost like picture a way that that's possible and i know everyone always says history is so important because then it doesn't repeat itself but maybe that's actually not true and well no, maybe, i think like, it's important so it, it so you make sure it doesn't repeat itself and you know you have informative people that are educated that's where i think this started people need to be educated on the problem you know and there, yeah, and I know there's a lot of opinions on the, the defunding the police and the military. That's a, a much different situation, in my opinion, than this. I know they're all intertwined in certain ways, but this is a systematic broken problem that was set up in a certain way as a new age slavery. That's what happened since the civil rights movement. And now, if, you know, I think the conversations have started. The platforms are being out there for people. Now it's about, okay, what's the next step? I, I think instilling new curriculums for young kids can't hurt in across all, all lines. Cause we grew up in upper white class neighborhoods and we had no, no understanding of this. So yeah, I just that think the important. things you're, t the things you're talking about are not the things that like people are even talking about at all. Yeah, like, they're talking about all these things. When you talk about mothers of these kids that they want change for future generations. Why do people do anything? It's for the the progress of humanity and for right for humans. Well, for, yeah, I just haven't heard great. anything about like people about like curriculum changes. Like I agree with you. I think that it actually is. I've heard plenty of, of that. You have? Yeah, there. Of course, that that's part of the game plan. At the end of the day, you need to educate the youth so people as they grow have a new understanding of how the world works. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's huge. But yeah, I, I think this is something that it's to me, it, this is different than the last few years when this happened on another level. Now, I don't know if it's because of the combo of people being locked down with the pandemic, but I think now everyone is outraged by this on another level to where there will actually be fundamental changes. And we're already seeing it starting. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it happen pretty quickly. I mean, it won't yeah. be long before like the Washington Redskins change their name. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like the, uh, small things like that. Like obviously the Anchamama thing, which it's funny because like when I saw that, I was like, oh, why would they do that? And then when you look into it, and that's where it's like, I'm just not a racist. So I never look at the Anchamama syrup bottle or pancake mix. But, yeah, but then that's, like, that's the whole point though, right? You, you, you're, you don't even realize what that is. You're just, like you're eating syrup. That's the issue. But yeah, I think it's like, that's the thing. Growing up then, we had Aunt Jemima syrup or Mrs. Butterworth syrup in our pantry. And that was never even a thought. Our thought was, this is delicious syrup. Well, it's going to actually, like from a marketing standpoint now to shift gears a little bit, it's going to be interesting to see what they change the name to and what they change the brand to. And same with Uncle Ben's and Cream of Wheat. They're all changing. I, I walk through the grocery store and I look for Aunt Jemima. Like, I don't even know what it says on the box. I just identify that with the pancake mix I like, the syrup I like. When they change the name to... Yeah, well, you'll still be eating. If you like the syrup, you'll be eating the syrup. I know people are attached to brands, but it'll be easy. Oh, to, yeah. It's just going to be yeah, interesting to see what they change it to. And I'm not PepsiCo. You know, these companies obviously had to do this. It's not like they're being good Samaritans about it or they would have done this a long time ago. This is yeah. a, a much needed look for them. And sure, they get great publicity. They also had no choice. They This should have been done a long time ago. The Washington Redskins thing, too. I'm shocked that hasn't changed years ago. Like uh, that's going to have to happen now, but it's just ridiculous. These things get put on that back burner. Yeah. Did you guys see the thing? Like I was just seeing it right before we started this podcast, how the uh, Florida Gators like Gainesville, they're changing their fight song because I, I don't know. I didn't look at the details, but something in their fight song sort of represents like Gator bait, I guess, is a racist reference. So they're just changing the fight song entirely. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of things that are happening. Yeah, the narrative's changing. With the, you know, people are being mindful of all of these types of things and where they stem from. And then they're like, oh, we can't have this anymore. When you look into the origins of like Aunt Jemima and Mrs. Butterworth, but you're immediately appalled. Where you're of like, course, oh, let's act. Of course, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So, what are your thoughts then on people calling to defund the police? I mean, to me, that seems almost like not a good idea. Not only not a good idea, but maybe it like almost takes away from the actual problem I don't here. Think my opinion on that is I think it's about the allocation of resources going to the right things. And I don't, I think it's important to have a police force, but it's also important to make sure that it's not being inundated in the wrong places. And even the training that goes into being a policeman, we need it to be different. Like well, yeah, you can of, almost make the argument that the police force is underfunded, um, and that's why there's a lack of training. They don't really make money. It's like not a job that necessarily attracts like the highest quality. Well, I don't even want to say that because I'm not someone that thinks policemen are bad at all. I think there's bad apples in any industry. Just and with that, it gets a little bit more highlighted just because of the job that they have. But, you know, I, it just seems like when everyone's calling for the police to get defunded, that just seems like it's tough to imagine a world without the police. Like they're there in a lot of good situations too. And there, like, yeah, there's a lot of great policemen and women. People sure. are quick, like, people are quick to forget about nine 11 and how many cops were risking their lives, died trying to save people when they could have just stayed home. and Well, like you said, there are bad apples in every bunch. And I, I think at the end of the day, it's about there's been a lot of where there's been a lot of anger from the black communities for good reason. A lot of these issues over the years, 
these cops haven't been reprimanded at all. They it's just been like, oh, you know, he self-defense, or we didn't really know what was going on here. And there were too many of these what ifs and legal processes that just took forever to bring justification to the matter. And now you're seeing those finally happen after all this outrage with convicted felony murders and people actually bringing justice to the system. But, you know, I think that's been part of the ongoing issue with the, there's been no consequences in some of these situations, but I don't defunding the police. I think it's more about just an al a reallocation of resources. Yeah, you're right. There needs to be, uh, you know, it, I think people, when it comes to educators and people protectors, it needs to be a coveted position. You're dead on, Dan. I think that's really important. And that's, you know, like when we were growing up. Back to the cops. So I, obviously the funding cops, I think, is crazy. But I did see today that we spend, taxpayers spend over $108 billion um, just straight to police departments. So I think that's a ton. And I think that could go more to education. And I don't think we should defund police. I think we just need to shift resources and, you know, better allocate them in certain ways. And yeah, also when you got, you know, people are quick to forget 9-11, people are quick to forget COVID. How many cops were in the front line helping people every single day and putting their lives at risk as well? It's a great point. Yeah, I really hate the narrative that's going on right now with everybody hating the cops. Have you guys heard of this like blue flu thing that's going yeah. around? What's with, up with that? I, it's basically, uh, Corey, tell us what it is because I'm not so, entirely... I, I don't, I'm not completely educated on it either, but I did see it going around and they're saying like, oh, blue flu is, is worse than COVID. And I'm just assuming they're talking about the police and, you know, I didn't read too much into it, but that's I, the basis. I almost thought it was like, and again, I might be completely off here. I thought it was like cops are starting to basically call out of work because it's like almost a mixture of them being, you know, humiliated, frightened. Like I saw... There was this female cop that went and got McDonald's in Atlanta and the McDonald's workers like wouldn't give her her food. And she like started crying just because she's a police officer. Like that's just fucked up. And that's where it's like people yeah. need to realize what's going on right now. And there's bad apples out there and there's good apples out there and there's a lot of good apples out there and I, it drives me crazy right now that all these people are just like oh we need to get rid of the police like these are you know a lot of great great people who go out of their way to protect like when there's a school shooting who, who's there to who's there first on the scene or when there's like a big fire or like 9-11 or like covid it's like as soon as one something bad happens everyone's quick to be like oh the police are bad get rid of them at the end of the day who are you gonna call if there's no police and a gang shows up at your house trying to kill you like all of a sudden you're gonna feel really unprotected at that well, exact and i think moment. that's part of the conversation that too, is, is part of where, where does that go local patrolling where you're having people from the towns helping like patrol neighborhoods. Like, I don't know what that even that's looks like. That's the police. Personally. That's what the well, police no, but That's my point. When I, when you go over defunding the police, that's what would be instilled when you think well, about I, it. The scary part is that, yeah, we feel comfortable calling the police when there's danger, but then there's, there's people who don't. And I think that's the scary part. And that's yeah, the exactly. argument. That is and the that, argument. 
And and that's the argument, and it needs to kind of stay at that. It needs to be. But that's a, a more, that's a valid argument. If somebody doesn't feel protected by the, the the notion of calling the police as a protector, that's a major problem. Yeah, no, it is, and I think police brutality is a real thing. And again, I don't think it applies to everybody. But I also think police brutality, and I might get destroyed right now for saying this, but I don't a hundred percent look at it as only racism as much as. It's almost like a class, you know, like police brutality is not only something towards black people or towards people of race. It's really something towards a lot of people if you're in the wrong situation or if police look at you as somebody who might be a quote unquote troublemaker, which I think applies to almost the middle to lower class more so than it does a race. And that's where... Ah. I, I, I almost think there's a lot of systematic oppression to a, a whole class, not just one race within the class. And well, I think that's part I, of the new Jim Crow, though. And uh, yeah, it, just it, yeah, that. the lower white it, class being kept above the lower black class—that's part of the whole system in play. Yeah. So that's the issue. Like that—that's where there's all this outrage too, is that constant divide and bottoming, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, just uh, cops are essentially trained to judge a book by its cover and try to go from there. And that's just not the way to do it. Yeah, you know, I think it's at the end of the day, it starts with a conversation. I That's my two cents. I think it's uh, all we could do is educate ourselves. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to learn more and, and see what I can do to help with the future of this. You know? Yeah, that book, Jim, the new Jim Crow is extremely enlightening and definitely recommend it uh, to read. Like you said, it should definitely be in academia and be a, a, a must read for all students. They should make it a history book. Like I look yeah. at that, just instill it in the curriculum right away and then it'll be interesting. Obviously, things like that take time too, with like, you know, to transform like the next wave, which is huge though. You've got to do that with these yeah, young you people. Have to start somewhere. But uh, so on a lighter note, we got some food for thought. And I figured this week, you know, we'll pit Dan and Mike against each other and do some food trivia questions. I got oh, five yeah. random questions lined up. And for anyone who's listening at home or wherever you are, uh, Mike does our a lot of our social media and he does food trivia Friday. So he definitely has a little heads up here and an advantage. So we'll, we'll see if Mike knows any of these questions or remembers and Dan, we'll just have you take your best guess. So I'll ask you a question. <laughs> Each, we start with Dan, Dan will take a guess and then Mike will take a guess. I like it. All right. So first one in 1963, which state sold the first fried dill pickle? Oh, wait, can you repeat the question? In nineteen 1960- <laughs> yeah, let's see your hands. Uh, which state sold the first fried dill pickle? Am I going to sound like a racist if I choose a southern state? <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> I'd say uh, Alabama. Close. Oh, uh, wow. I'm going to go with uh, Georgia. The answer is Arkansas. Oh, man, I almost said Arkansas. Why didn't I go with that? When you said close, I should have done that. Ah, all right. So question two, what state is the birthplace of the cheeseburger? Uh, it's Wisconsin, New York, Colorado, home state. What? Oh, really? I knew that too. We did one of those, Dan. Home of Lodell. 
Yeah. All right. This one, uh, this one's pretty interesting. Um, what is an Indian dish, but the national dish of England? Uh, Dan's done here. I know this. Um, <laughs> the in, an Indian dish, but the national dish of England. So it's a national dish of England, but it happens to be an Indian dish. Uh, I would well, guess. We'll give you like, a hint, Dan. It's the most common one. I was going to say, it. like fish and chips. No, chicken tikka masala. <laughs> Got it. All right, that's Mike. In England, that's the dish of England. Yep. Yeah, pretty random. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a lot of Indian people. In no, England. there are 100. percent It's just I when I read the questions before I was looking at the answer, I was like, oh, fish and chips. But then I was like, oh, that's not Indian. I was just um, thinking that as I said it, I was like, that's the least Indian meal in the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. This is a somewhat of a trick question. What is the state vegetable of Oklahoma? Dan. Uh, corn. I'm terrible at this game. <laughs> uh, vegetable is this? It's kind of a fruit, though. Exactly. Like watermelon. Yep. Boom. What? How did you guess that? I know. <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of food trivia, as Corey said. I was so confused. I was literally looking up today. Like, is watermelon a vegetable? Feeling like the biggest <laughs> dumbass. Right. <laughs> I don't even understand it. All right. Water last, seriously. All right. Last question. Name the most ordered food in America? Pizza. Wings. In a way, I guess. Uh, fried chicken. You know, I've been adding to that statistic a lot lately. <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've, been going, I've been really, really getting it a lot down here. Like, I got to just chill out. Good turn <laughs> into, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah I love go. it. Maybe Very clever. Add some more of that in the weeks to come. Oh, yeah. And yeah, guys, we've got so a very special guest coming on in a few minutes. Hella Taha uh, grew up in Wachung, New Jersey, where Dan and I grew up, Corey. We were in the same grade from literally elementary school all the way till college, went to the same school in a lot of the same classes in elementary and middle school. Hella and I had, I think, 53 kids in our grade from kindergarten through eighth grade. So it was yeah. quite the intimate group. I haven't seen her or talked to her, I think, since uh, the lock-in senior high school. I, we're talking like 16 years ago. So to give everyone a scoop, Hella is the host of Young and Profiting podcast. It is a top 10 self-improvement and how-to podcast on Apple Podcasts in the US, Canada, Australia, UK, Italy, India, Saudi Arabia, and more. She started her career out at hot at WQHT Hot 97 as the production assistant for Angie Martinez. Oh, wow. She used yeah, she used to own an entertainment news, fashion, and music blog called the Sorority of Hip Hop and had 50 bloggers working for the site. And she had sponsors such as American Apparel and Reebok on there, which was I didn't even know about. She ended up getting scouted by MTV for her blog and event company. And she ended up shooting two pilots with them and thought she was going to be a lead in a reality TV show two different times. But she said, we'll have her dive into this. She didn't end up getting it, but it seemed like a blessing in disguise. She's been running Young and Profiting podcast since April 2018. It's her passion. She's really driven by her, the joy and enthusiasm from her listeners. And she works at Disney streaming services. As, uh, in marketing tech stack. So she's got an MBA. She's been in co corporate America for a long time. And it seems like 
when anybody wants to know how to build a successful podcast, I'll be honest with our listeners, Hella definitely inspired me to get into the podcasting game. When I saw her on LinkedIn, Corey and Dan, and we're going to dive into that, she's done a phenomenal job more than anybody I know personally with LinkedIn marketing. You know, there's a lot of copy and pasting going on on there. And she has really stood out. And I'm curious to know why she utilized LinkedIn instead of Facebook and Instagram as her main platform, but she's killed it on there. Like she gets some insane engagement on that platform. So she'll be gracing us with her presence here in three minutes. And uh, yeah, maybe she could help us turn this podcast into a, quite the behemoth. She does actually consult on the side. I don't know how Hella has time for all this. Like she has a full-time job and seems like has a really successful podcast. I'm curious to hear if she's got some sponsors. And it's that watch on water too, you know, like we know her upbringing. Yeah, that'll be cool. I'm also, I didn't, I always, from when we were young kids, I thought her name was pronounced Hala and everyone called her Hala. So I'm curious to know if she ever tried correcting teachers. Like she never seemed to care, but I was creeping out her Instagram a bit, saw in her Insta story that she posted something about that. And ever since that's why I've been pronouncing it Hella. So, you know, curious to hear her thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think she lives in Brooklyn. Is it a solo podcast or does she do it with someone? Yeah. It's a solo? podcast. It seems like, yeah, she but, does. She has a hell of a production going on. But she, she does it with herself or with someone else. Uh, it's her podcast, so it's yeah, solo. She has. She, uh, that's tough. Up? That's got to be tough to do a podcast by yourself. Well, she's got guests. She brings on every episode to yeah. interview them. So yeah, she a investigates a new topic podcast. every week and interviews some of the brightest minds in the world, turning their wisdom into actionable advice you can use in your life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. So you can see she's had some cool people on there. Uh, and it's, it seems like it's a great life hack podcast when you really think about how is what she's been building. It's really cool because it gets people pumped up, inspires them, might get them taking that first step in business, whatever, if they were hesitant at first, talk about someone with no fear, she'll be coming on in a second. She, anyone that's almost been on a reality TV show a couple times hosting a show on hot 97 that almost being in a scenario like that, you've got to put yourself out there a lot and have no problem with rejection as we all know very well. So you send her the link, right? Yeah. Cool. So yeah, she should be coming out. You guys see that Robin hood trader that committed suicide because he thought what? he was 750 grand in the hole. And really they just hadn't assigned him the Amazon stock yet. <laughs> That's up. Yeah, this this kid like was trading these options. Not funny, but that's um, crazy. Yeah, he was trading options on both sides of Amazon, and apparently, what he did wasn't even that wrong. And he wakes up and sees that his balance was like negative seven hundred eighty grand and killed himself. And it turns out yeah. they just it was like a tweak in the app where they just hadn't assigned him the shares. And uh, yeah, it sucks, crazy, that's unfortunate, it's terrible. I know. He had like a whole suicide note, like directed towards Robin Hood, basically oh, saying like, how the hell could you like let somebody 
who's 20 years old, like use hundreds of thousands of dollars in margin and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's easy to scrutinize there. Obviously that's terrible, but like how, you know, how many people are on that? It's like there's glitches are going to happen. I've seen that on E-Trade where it shows like negative $2 million for a minute. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And then I'm like, uh, it's positive. I've yeah, never at least, that. <laughs> yeah. at least like call call support or try to find out what happened before you uh, take that measure. That's just terrible. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Robinhood's definitely inspiring a lot of young traders. People got to be careful. It's crazy for sure. Yeah, everyone do their homework. You have information at your fingertips. Make sure to actually dive into what you're investing in, or just be willing to lose every dollar you throw into Robinhood. <laughs> Last night I learned a delivery hack for myself. I got so I got all this free food, and one of the dishes was like a like a like a Mexican bowl, and it had guac in it. And then I didn't eat it, so I put it in the fridge. But the thing with that is you can't reheat guac because hot avocado is disgusting. So <laughs> you never get guac on any delivery food. I recommend it getting on the side so you can reheat your food and then put it on after. Corey, it's funny you say that because I got a turkey burger last night that had guac in it and it was so hot. It was, yeah, the avocado was disgusting because it was like heated in, like they put it on the burger and it melted and it's like, this isn't cheese, you know? Yeah, I I learned that that my biggest pet peeve is like when I go to a breakfast place and I get avocado on my omelet, I have to ask for it on top of the omelet because otherwise they cook it in and it just fucks it all up. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's... uh, that's never a, been an avocado guy. I'm a big avocado fan. I'll never forget that. your ex-girlfriend's friend, that Maria girl, that that one thing she brought to the table phenomenally well was that avocado sandwich play where she was like, listen, avocado instead of mayo. <laughs> That's and true because it has that creamy consistency. It does play. It works. Big time. So that was yeah, healthy. Yeah. Shout out to her for that because that ever since I've, I've gone with that and it works. Maria Scully. There we go, Scully. Shout out. I, yeah. I, I saw her randomly in the JFK airport. Get out say hi to each other. Yeah, I was just sitting down eating, and she literally got off her terminal and just passed. And I was like, what the hell? I'm always running into yeah. people like that. Like, I saw Eric at Dwayne Reed the other day. I know we're sure. like, <laughs> yeah, right, literally. Nope. I, really? Yeah, I saw Paul's buddy on the street with his girlfriend. I always run into people, like, randomly. What's, what's Dwayne Reed? It's like a Rite Aid, like a CVS. Oh, okay. it's, I mean, yeah, Shipper, it's like he the also, one here. He also lives in Greg's building, like a street down from where I'm staying. So, Mike, how's the hey place you're staying right now? Phenomenal. It's, yeah, it looks it's pretty great. sick. Yeah, I'm thinking For about anyone you. who uh, – doesn't know Mike and Dan. They also happen to run into every celebrity athlete, actor. <laughs> they just funny. ran and they have the best luck with that. It's it's too funny. I think I was my calling was to be a sports agent. Like ever since I was a young kid, they just keep being thrown in front of me where it's just like, what is going on here? Remember Dan, we were on like no we knew Michael Strahan before this, but we ended up randomly being on his plane. It was the craziest thing. I'll never forget that. I was so amped up. We get to Newark Airport. There's Michael Strahan just hanging out at the gate. And he ended up sitting next to my dad. It was, it was crazy. crazy. Mike, uh, so I just want to say we're actually not on live LinkedIn yet. So this is the platform that Hala told us to use, and it's been great. So thank you for that. But yeah. LinkedIn is in beta mode with the live stream, and we're not a part of that beta program. I'm assuming you are. So yeah. we're live streaming on Facebook, on both of our Facebook profiles. And I believe we're also live streaming on our Twitter handle. 
cool. So, yeah. So, Hella, That's what's fun. been going on? Oh, nothing. I Sorry I'm running a little bit late. I just finished up work, so I just um, set up my equipment and hopped on. <laughs> nice. No worries. So take, take us through a day in the life for you right now. I mean, I didn't even realize you have a full-time job on top of this. Yeah, I do. Um, well, I work full-time at Disney Streaming Services. I'm part of their marketing operations team, so I lead their lifecycle channel strategy. So that's email and app and push messages. And, um, you know, I work on processes and picking platforms and um, negotiating contracts and, and stuff like that. So um, that's what I do full time at Disney. And then I also have this podcast. I have an amazing team and I work with them to, you know, book guests and uh, prepare for the podcast and then, of course, record them. So typically um, on any given day, I'm working full time. Sometimes I'm waking up early to talk to my video editor in the Philippines. And then I'm working and then I take, usually my interviews are during lunch. Um, so sometimes I'm getting interviewed like this or sometimes I'm actually hosting an interview. Um, and then, you know, I love to work out. So I'm still working out and uh, spending time with my awesome boyfriend. So just busy, busy and, and stuff that I can't talk about too <laughs> that I'm working on. Oh, that's amazing. What's it been like the transformation working from home through all this, like with Disney and the podcast? Have there been some hurdles with that? Yeah. So actually, I I was starting to do in-person interviews and I got this studio in New York and I had my first in-person interview with uh, Ryan Serhant. And he's this like big real estate guy. And then I had so many others booked uh, for in person, but I had to switch them to online. So that kind of sucked. But I kept doing video and streaming is really popular now. So it worked out. Um, in terms of like working from home, Disney's always been like flexible from working from home. So we would do, I would do that like once a week anyway. So it was a pretty natural transition, but um, I have less of a commute. So I think it's like way better. Um, I have more time. Um, so I'm actually enjoying it and I don't want to go back to the office at all. Do you think they're going to let you just stay working from home for an extended period here? Yeah, I think so. Um, they haven't officially said anything, but I mean, I'm probably moving to Montauk, um, which is um, in Long Island, um, at least till January, because it just kind of sucks. To, I, I typically live in Brooklyn and right now, you know, it just really sucks. You can't even go outside, so um, I, I'm trying to just get some place where I can have like fresh air. I hear you, Hal. I moved here literally a week before the pandemic, so talk about impeccable timing. It's oh been, wow, you're in New York, cool. Yeah, I'm in Tribeca, and it's just I'm thinking about heading out for the summer for that exact reason. Yeah, like, it's yeah, tough it's to, better. It's it, sure. nothing's gonna get nothing's gonna get better. I think until like November, December time period. I, I don't. It's spiking again, so I just think it's gonna get crazy. And for me, I I know you probably know, like my whole family got COVID, I got COVID, and so I'm like just over it. <laughs> You're ready to, yeah. Dan has it as we speak. Oh really? Yeah. Oh my god, how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah. I'm th I've been feeling okay actually. My girlfriend yeah. is the one who I think's getting it kind of worse. She like really? has lost kind of like feeling in half of her face, which is kind of freaky. Yeah. Whoa. So we're like keeping an eye on that. That's like a yeah. stroke-like condition. Oh wow! I'm but so sorry to hear that. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure she'll be fine. I just feel kind of. I feel like my legs are filled with lead. That's it. Yeah, That's I, I had feel. like. Yeah, my my bones hurt so bad. Like a lot of people, they don't talk about this, but like you get it in like your muscles, and like mm -hmm. I felt like growing pains. Like you know when you were a kid and you had growing pains. That's what it felt yes. like. 
And then I just like lost my sense of smell and, and taste, like com mostly smell completely, like couldn't smell anything for a long time. <laughs> wow. And really sorry yeah. to hear about your father, Hella. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's like terrible and I'm, I'm upset, but I was just so lucky to have such a good dad. He, you know, came from nothing and did so well for his family. And it's kind of just like, he had a great life. Like it sucks that like, that's how his life had to end. But at the end of the day, like he literally was like dirt poor and then became, you know, some successful surgeon in New Jersey and like out of nothing. So I think he had a great life. It just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Corey had it too. Oh, yeah, I had like a, that. we're just like the COVID uh, club over here. Right? I know. <laughs> Seriously, it's insane. Time for uh, the Roaring Twenties to hopefully begin from this when the <laughs> dust settles. And, you know, hell, and I know we grew up together in Wachung being yeah. like, we, it was, uh, Dan and I, I always joke around about this. We were in such a small town and it seemed like Pleasantville all the time. But I yeah. also think when we, we were ready to get out of there and burst that bubble. I don't know if you always had that feeling like come high school where it was like time to spread the wings here. And I yeah. feel like kids that grew up in our town, we've got that natural chip on our shoulder because we come from such a small area from near such a big city. Yeah. And what's your take on that? So I, I never really thought about it that way. Like I never thought like, oh, watching such a small town. What I did feel like is like, I have a chip on my shoulder because I was like one of the only like brown kids in school and I had like the weirdest name and like one of the people that had like a weird name in school. I didn't and even so, know when you pronounced your name Hella until I was creeping on your Insta story and you put something up about that. And I'm like, oh man, like did you ever correct friends or teachers? On that? No, no, because um, there's a, you saw the Insta story. So I remember when I was, it was the first day of middle school, our gym teacher, my, my name is, for, for context for everybody who's listening, my name in Arabic, I'm Arabic, of, I'm of Arabic descent. My name is Hella, that's how you say my name. But it's spelled H-A-L-A, so I always told everybody it was Hala, but that only came about because one time, like, a middle school teacher, like, picked on me, and he was like, Hala, like, hell, how did your parents name you that? Like, you know, that's so stupid, and I think I got, like, embarrassed by that. But I had awesome friends. I remember, like, Heather Melville was like, no, it's Heather, it's Hella, like, hello, you know, and she stuck up for me. So <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I, di I didn't get it that bad. Um but in general, I think a lot of the older people who controlled like, you know, whether who got the lead in the play and who got this and who made the cheerleading team and who got in Girl Scouts, you know, um, I never got those things when I was in middle school. And when I went to college, all of a sudden I was like, you know, I got every opportunity that I tried for. And it was because I went to like a diverse college and I, I wasn't abnormal anymore. Nobody cared about what my name was anymore. And then I just like kind of skyrocketed from there. And so I really think that the reason why um, I kind of have a chip on my shoulder that I want to succeed is because when I was in middle school and in high school, um, I never got opportunities, even though I was talented. I had probably the best voice in school honestly, and I would get solos in the chorus concert, but they never put me in the plays as like a lead. And then I went to college and I was the lead in all the plays like, you know, and, you know, I didn't make the cheerleading team. Then I went to college and I was like co-captain of the cheerleading team. You know, it's just these wow. reoccurring things that kept happening. Um, they didn't even let me be in the talent show in high school. So we when what? we were freshmen. Yeah. When we were freshmen in, in high school, that's when 9-11 happened. And like, I really think that because of my name, because I was Arabic, they didn't give me 
like regular opportunities. Um, they told me that Girl Scouts was full when I was in elementary school. Like every year it was full. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know what I mean? It's just so stupid. Wow. But I think that um, that's why I have a chip on my shoulder. And that's why I'm like accelerating now because um, I somehow didn't get that discouraged. And I kept going after things, even though nobody gave me a chance in high school. Um, but then, you know, I went to college and it was totally different story. Totally and Ella, and you clearly from there also, you have no fear of rejection, obviously. I mean, yeah, when no, you look at your track record, at what point, like you were, you had all these situations where you were on the cusp of uh, reality shows, hosting podcast, obviously you're hosting a great podcast now, but hosting a show on a successful radio channel, what, what reached a point? Did you ever reach that limit where you were just looking in the mirror? Like, you know, maybe I should just shift gears here. Yeah, so I actually did shift gears. And for everybody listening, I'm sure you guys don't know my backstory. I'll give you like the one minute, two minute version. Um, I started off my career Hot 97. I was Angie Martinez's assistant. For those who don't know, that's like the number one New York uh, station in New York. Angie Martinez at the time was the number one radio personality in the world probably. And so I had this like golden position where, you know, I would meet a celebrity every day, Chris Brown, J-Lo, Kim Kardashian, Drake, everybody. I met everybody. And so I was like um, pretty young. I was still like a sophomore in college. I dropped out of school. I ended up working for Angie Martinez for three years. Um, the way that it works in radio is that um, you basically have to be an apprentice and you actually don't get paid. I used to get paid doing like showcases at night and um, hosting parties with the DJs and things like that. But it was like such a coveted job, such a cool job. And um, then I asked for, you know, a, a real job at Hot 87 because at the time um, my siblings were all in med school. And so you could imagine me dropping out of school and working at Hot 97 and it, trying to explain that to my parents. And they were like, what are you doing? You know, and so I was trying to get a real job and I wanted to be, you know, I was training somebody who like a producer role opened up and they wanted me to train them because I was doing that job. And I felt like, well, why don't you just hire me? And, you know, looking back, I was so young and like there's reason like I was on the path to be like Angie Martinez is like next up in line. Um, but I just wasn't patient. So I was like impatient. And they didn't give me the job. So that was like a major failure. And what did I do? I turned around and I started the sorority of hip hop. And basically what I did is I learned how to build websites. And I, I had a pretty big following on Twitter because of Hot 97. And I recruited all these girls and I started a blog site. And we had 50 female bloggers at the height of it. I did some really cool things on Twitter where we got really popular really fast. MTV scoped us. We had a pilot where they probably put in like $200,000. They got us a studio in New York. They filmed us for like three months. They filmed my family. They filmed us fighting as girls. And I was the president, you know, the lead of the, the show. And we didn't get it. And that happened twice. And so the second time it happened, um, you know, this was three years after I started the blog site, I shut the blog site down because I was like, you know what, I, I can't be in the sorority of hip hop forever. I already graduated college. <laughs> I don't think I could do this forever. I shut it down and then I got my MBA and um, I decided I was going to go into business. And I kind of thought that my entertainment career was over for good. I really did. And um, I ended up getting like a 4.0 on my MBA. I got an internship at Hewlett Packard. 
And then I just kept rising up the ranks. Then I got recruited at Disney. And um, right before Disney, I started a Young and Profiting podcast. So every time that I had a failure, I basically turned it around and did something productive. And it's, it's worked out. And I fueled any negative energy into trying to do something even better, trying to expand my skills, trying to learn as much as I can. And, you know, it's, it's worked out because rejection is just redirection, you know, and, and anytime I've gotten rejected, it's because I was good enough to get that opportunity. Not everybody gets an opportunity to have a pilot on, I didn't seek that out. They seeked me out, you know, not everybody gets approached by MTV for a pilot and not everybody gets somebody who's invested in them to pay $150,000 for a, a, a pilot. So it's like looking back, it's like that was actually an awesome opportunity and I'm really talented for securing that. It didn't work out, but the reason why I've had so many failures is because I was driven and motivated enough to actually get those opportunities and at bats. So, um, that, that's incredible. And hell, I think for our listeners too, uh, there's something to be said. We see it all the time with our business, you know, putting yourself out there, like not being afraid of failing because that's part of the journey of totally. getting, you know, knocked down. But what do you think? Like when somebody is trying to start something, you know, we all have that resistance naturally. First thing when we wake up, what do you tell somebody that's been hesitating that just wants to pull the trigger but is held back and really wants to start something? So somebody who's who who has an idea and they feel like nervous of failure, like they 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 feel like nervous of being rejected. I mean, you're never going to know if you don't try. And so everybody's like number one, they say like the number one regret when somebody dies is that they didn't they didn't try something. Like nobody ever looks back and is like, "Oh, like I wish I never tried this idea that failed." Um, and every failure is actually a stepping stone towards success. Um, I believe in something called skill stacking, right? And so what that really means is that you layer on multiple skills that could come from all different kinds of experiences. So we can take my podcast, for example. My podcast is successful not because I'm the best podcaster in the world. Like I'm not the best podcaster in the world, but I'm a really good marketer. And I have a lot of graphic skills, video editing skills. I have a lot of networking skills. And so I'm able to secure awesome guests, you know, when somebody else who's at my level probably doesn't get the same level of guests, but because I'm able to have build a social media following, you know, because I'm able to have really standout content because of my marketing skills, my podcast has become popular, not because I'm the best host. So it's like layering on those skills. And I wouldn't have gotten those skills if I didn't have so many failures, um, because it's those failures that where I learned those skills. Mm. Hello, you are a ball of energy. You know that? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Hill <laughs> yeah. that's fascinating. Because I, I love I love thinking about like I think of your podcast as a great life hack because I've dove in a few times and heard a lot of these things. And I love how you break down Hella, how you take your strengths and you're really supplanting to another level with yeah. this whole podcast due to your ability in marketing, networking. And with that, Ella, can you go over your LinkedIn ability? Because I have to say, I'm thoroughly impressed the way you've broken that platform down. I've never seen anyone, Dan and Corey, as good as Hella on LinkedIn. And Gary Vaynerchuk's the only other person there I pay attention <laughs> to. And because most people, you know, it's copy paste, like spam. Yeah, central. people. So, yeah. yeah. So, so like, I think first of all, I think LinkedIn is like an open playground, right? It's, um, it's got a lot of organic reach. Some people, you just need to know how to play the game, right? So, I think. One of the most important strategies with LinkedIn is because not everybody there is actually t there to engage on content. So I think one of the most important strategies is to actually 
recruit a proactive following and do, uh, sorry, recruit an active following and do it proactively. <laughs> so basically, um, like for example, what I did is um, I would follow Gary, like you just mentioned Gary V, right? So I would look at everybody who liked and commented on his posts. And I would do this with like Tony Robbins, other people who are in my self-improvement space that have a big following on LinkedIn. And um, I would even do it with past guests who've been on my show. That's another another strategy to like build your network. And what I would do is I would look at their, their content and I would see who liked or commented on their post. And anybody who likes or comments on a post is an active person on LinkedIn. And I actually would uh, prioritize people who commented because comments are worth, are worth the most in terms of engagement on LinkedIn. So I wanted people who commented on posts. Who Some people are just lurkers and they don't say anything. Some people don't engage at all. Some people go to LinkedIn to find a job and they never come back on LinkedIn. So I want to find those active people. So what I did is anybody who commented on Gary Vee's post, I'd send them an invite. Hey, what's up? My name is Hala. I see that you liked Gary Vee's content and podcast. I have a podcast too. Um, hoping to connect. Looking to provide value on your feed. Hoping to connect. Then I'd follow up after they connected and like nine times out of ten people would accept and I'd say, um, you know, my name's Hala. I host Young and Profiting Podcast. Here's the link. My latest episode is yada, yada. Um, let me know your feedback. And most of the times people would be like, I loved your show. Your show's so awesome. And this works when you have good content, right? I knew that I had good content and that I could provide something valuable to, to these people. And I also knew that I posted really good content on my feed. So if they liked Gary Vee stuff, they'll like mine. So you, you can't just do that and not have content, right? You need to ha also have the content. So the other side is posting valuable stuff. So what do people want to do on LinkedIn? They want to learn. So you want to make sure that your content is something that provides value. It's educational in whatever field you're in. So for me, it's self-improvement. And so I, I have a pretty broad niche. It's just all self-improvement. It could be health. It could be mental. It could be whatever, um, business. Um, and I post valuable content. And um, I think that's really the formula. It's valuable content and it's a proactive, it's, a, it's an active network that you proactively recruit and that's how you get started um, now people just follow me um, by themselves I don't really do that anymore but that's how I kick-started everything and when I had a blog site I did other similar hacks and it, it, it changes over time so like when I had my blog site we were popular on Twitter and what I did is um, we had 50 female bloggers. We all had like, you know, I had like 10,000 followers and one girl had 5,000, the other girl had 300, the other girl had 1,000. So, but altogether we had like 300,000 followers or something like that. So what I did is every time we had a blog, um, we would start putting the at of people's profiles in our blog title. So like at, you know, Drake, new music, new song, whatever. 50 girls would tweet that at one time. It was like automated where like I automated it so that people would tweet that title and we were the first ones to do that. Now everybody does that on Twitter, um, or they used to. I don't even go on Twitter anymore. So you were at the beginning of the hashtag game, like before yeah, Instagram so it was started like, that. Yeah, I was like, we were the first blog that did that on Twitter, where like they would like blast people's profiles, and so Drake would retweet us because he saw fifty pretty girls, you know, posting his content, <laughs> and then we got really big. So it's like, it's like you always need to like find that thing. Like nobody's doing what I that hack that I just told you for LinkedIn. It works amazing. Like it has such a big ROI. Nobody's doing it, you know. And so it's like you need to find those little like things and kind of take advantage of them. I love how you refer to it as an open playground because I honestly don't think people think of LinkedIn. They don't understand it. 
I, well, I, a lot I, of people you know. do, but yeah, yeah, a lot of people, like the people who are on Instagram, it's so funny. Like I have friends and like, they don't realize that like I've become like a LinkedIn celebrity and like, cause yeah. I'm like a loser on Instagram and it's just <laughs> no, like, you on, tell like, it. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Your LinkedIn, like the way you get engagement on there is unbelievable. It really yeah. is. Hello. What was the feeling? When did you find out you were a top 10 podcast in self-improvement and how to? Yeah, so um, I can't remember exactly. I think it was like a year ago. The way that podcasting works, it's like, it's not like I'm always in the top 10. It's like, and there's multiple countries. So like today I looked on Chartable is a website where you can check your ranking. I'm like number one in like some country in Africa. I'm number 14 in Mexico. Like I'm number That's two awesome. in Italy. Like, you know, so it's just, it just changes um, every day. Today I was like number 57 or something in the US. So I'm not always in the top 10. It just depends when I put out a new episode and then like the day after I put out a new episode I'll be like in the top 10 and then if I don't put out an episode for a few days then it like drops back down so that's how podcasting works it's, it's not like consistent unless you're like Joe Rogan and then you're always like number one in your category well so, you're on your way Hella I mean I you're definitely so. how often do you so it seems like consistency obviously pays off a lot how often do you have guests on yeah, I post every single Monday. So that's my schedule. Um, and then sometimes I post bonus episodes. So like yesterday I had somebody cancel on me. Um, I was supposed to interview the C the editor editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and um, my internet crapped out right before. So I hopped on LinkedIn Live and then I just, right after I didn't even do any mixing or mastering, I just uploaded it uh, and posted it. So sometimes I just like randomly post things, but it's usually every Monday. That's amazing. And how did you come up with the Young and Profiting name? Yeah, I love the name. Oh, Great. thank you. Um, well, I honestly like just wrote down a million names. And um, I love the way that YAP, like the initials of it is YAP and Young and Profiting. And so I just thought that it was a really cool name. And literally nobody used it in anything. There was like no images with that name. Like it was a totally original name. Um, so I just went with it. Um, looking back though, if I could give advice to some people who are looking to start a podcast, I would have never named it that. Um, I have a friend who who has a podcast. His name his name is uh, Brian Ford, and um, his podcast is Self Improvement Daily. And he's got such a good keyword in his podcast. He gets like. 10,000 downloads a day. Like he gets like an amazing, crazy amount of downloads just because he's got a keyword in his name. Like I love him. He's got a great podcast. It's they're only two minutes long. He's not the best podcaster in the world. It's because he's got keywords in his title. Mm. So I would definitely recommend um, to think about the keywords that you would use if you're going to start a podcast. Because for me, I have to teach everybody to look for young and profiting. Nobody really finds me on their own. And that's, that's not the best. That, that's a very, that's vital for sure. Sounds I, like we got to change the name of our podcast. I would, yeah, I would do it. I would do it before it gets too big. Cause now I'm like, I'm going to have no return. Oh, wow. <laughs> unless wow. I just like, unless I just tag self-improvement, like on the end, like, yeah. I guess those shirts we got printed should be going in the trash. <laughs> no. I mean, I, if I could do it all over again, that's what I do. And if I start another podcast, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and hell, I know you mentioned you do consulting too to help people like build behemoths. So we might have to take you up on that offer. How do you go about uh, bringing on your services? Yeah, so I just started this and my first client is Heather Monahan. She has another podcast called Conf Confidence Creator. Um, I don't even know if I want to take other clients, honestly, because I feel like it's like I'm, it's kind of too much. But 
in terms of like, how do I like, what's your question? Like, how do I get clients? Well, I, no, I was I, just like, trying to help push you. Like, oh, okay. No, that, I'm not yeah. looking for new clients. Got I have too you. many people that want my services. Well, that's a good problem. Good that's problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, how, and obviously we we're in the food game. I have to ask you, do you ever order food delivery? Um, yeah, all the time. Tell nice. me about your business. I don't, I don't we're, know anything about it. We're, uh, the David and the Uber Eats space. We're basically one of the smaller competitors of Uber, DoorDash. We're uh, fighting the good fight, like building out the smaller market. So I started it back at Indiana university. Dan went to Boulder, got a site going there. Corey's been on our team from pretty much day one cool. as a piece of our company. And we're, uh, yeah, I think we're in 16 markets now. We've been just building out, trying to, you know, compete with the big boys. And it's been pretty crazy. But yeah, it's, young called, and profiting. <laughs> it's called Lodell. Lodell? Yep. Cool. Is so, it in New York yet or not yet? Not yet, Hella. We're hoping we can come to New York soon, though. We're definitely, I, I would love us to be here. Cool. I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Thank you. And uh, Hella, where can everybody find your podcast? Young and Profiting. Sure. You can find Young and Profiting podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, um, literally anywhere you want to get your podcast, Overcast, CastBox. Um, you can find us there. And then I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. And on Instagram at Yap with Hala. That was amazing. Hala, so much. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on. And we've learned a ton. And uh, you got me pumped up. Like I thought I was energetic. I could, keep, so I could talk for a lot longer. This is short. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, is there anything else? Like, where do you see the future of your podcast going at this point? Do you have certain, like I could tell you're a goal setter, a trend setter. I'm sure you have a specific agenda in mind here. Yeah. I mean, I want to be like a, a top education podcast. So how to is a subcategory on Apple. So I want to move up to be like a top educational podcast and then I'll be really playing with the big boys. And really my dream is to be like the female version of Jordan Harbinger or Tim Ferriss or Tom Balyu, um, those really big podcasters. There's no like big female presence in the self-improvement space. So I really want to do that. Um, and that's what I'm hoping for. And also, I don't think I'm always going to have this podcast. I really like love to evolve. And so I think eventually I'll have some version of the Halataha show and, and maybe give Young and Profiting to like my interns. So I love how you go over that whole evolution process, because I think as creators, entrepreneurs, you if you, you know, if you can't be stagnant, we always no. go over that on our team or else you're done, you know, yeah. and that's cool yeah. that you're already acknowledging that you won't even be running this at some point. Yeah, That's no, really... I'm totally pruning my team to take it over. And I'm like wow. letting them guest and like like guest interview and stuff so so that they'll be prepped. The female Tim Ferriss. I love that bar. I mean, how <laughs> have you read his books? Um, yeah, I have. I don't really remember them too much, but I, I listen more to his podcasts. He's got some crazy stories, that guy. Like yeah, some he's of the, amazing. Did you the whole part with South by Southwest where he was basically getting pumped in his buddy's garage for his dog in front of his dogs? to see if they could keep their attention before oh, really? going on stage for the first time. Oh, yeah, I thought, cool. yeah, he's just that guy. It's crazy what an ex life experimenter he is. So that that's a great, if you're, you can become the female Tim Ferriss. That would wow. be amazing. I, I'm rooting we'll for see, you. Bella. We'll see. That's awesome. Thanks guys. Thank you. It, it's been awesome talking to you and catching up. Haven't, I was telling these guys, I don't think I've talked to you since, uh, or seen you since end of high school. I know, I know. It's, it's so funny that you reached out, but you know, you seem like you're doing great. 
And it's cool that we can connect this way. It's like awesome to be in 2020 where we could just like hop on a video call and, and oh, it's great. So it's cool. And I hope uh, you enjoy the summer. Let me know when you make it back to Brooklyn. We'll grab a coffee. Yeah, sure, for sure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bootstrapped in the trenches, yeah. making moves, going all out. Every day, handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady, keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get Lodell, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.